Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now. I have episode 166 of the podcast that was originally recorded on June 20th of 2017. I'm not really going to be able to say here are the things that I've played and here are the things that I want to play in this episode, as this episode is going to contain all of the interviews that I conducted while I was at Origins 2017. I really hope you enjoyed the episode because I really enjoyed sitting down and talking with the individuals that I was able to, and I cannot wait to do this again. So we're just going to let the show start here and take it away. Enjoy the episode. Hey gamers, what are the games? This is Joe Luzzi from What I'm Playing Now, and welcome to another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. We are on episode 166. As always, you can send me some emails. Let me know what you're playing now. You can send those emails to whatimplayingnow at gmail.com. You can also join us in some conversations over on Board Game Geek. We have a guild over there, guild number 2440. On Twitter, you can follow me at What I'm Playing Now. Don't forget to drop that G, like I always say. On Facebook, just do a search for What I'm Playing Now. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash the plus sign What I'm Playing Now podcast. And then, as always, our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash What I'm Playing Now. All right, I am freshly back from Origins 2017. And I have several interviews that I was able to conduct while I was down there. Uh, this was my first time really covering a show like this as press, which I was very excited to do. I have several articles that I've already written and posted to the website about my days and what I spent playing and what I was playing at Origins 2017. But I wanted to take my uh, portable audio recorder with me and actually sit down and talk to some people that I've actually never talked to before. Some I have talked to before and interviewed, but I had a great time and I cannot thank each and every one of these individuals enough to take some time out of their busy schedule during the convention, sit down with me, spend, spend a little bit of time actually, you know, talking to me, letting me know what's going on with their particular company, what they have at the show, what they're showing. And I just had a great time doing this. So Rather than me sitting here and babbling on like we all know that I can since I do love to talk, let's jump into the interviews. The first interview is going to be with somebody I had no idea I was actually going to sit down to interview. The first publisher that I went over to talk to in the morning was North Star Games, and I met up with Melissa. She was showing me their new app for Evolution, and then she introduced me to Bruce Vogue, who I then spent some time with, and let's hear how our conversation went. All right, everybody. Hey, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now, and I am here with Bruce Vogue from the Party Game Cast from North Star Games, and I'm sure everybody knows the voice behind the man, and he is going to talk a little bit about Wits and Wagers from North Star Games. So we have Wits and Wagers, the party edition here with us right now. Bruce, how's the show going for you so far? Yeah, the show's going really fantastic, although, so okay, right now it is, my people tell me it's Friday. Yes, it is. Uh, it <laughs> feels like it's been at least a week and a half. Uh, I saw a Columbus Clippers game on theoretically Tuesday that I swear was a week and a half ago. It had to have been. I know it's a week and a half ago. I remember it was a great sunny, hot day, and now it's going to be winter soon, I think, here. So other than that, it's just, I feel getting in that con feeling where time changes, it, I feel like I've been here a very long time. It's been a fun time, but a very long time. But beyond that, it's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, we're going to talk in a second about the new product that we're putting out that I'm really excited about. And I had a chance to do, we did a speakeasy last night here for uh, a whole bunch of media folks to show it off. So just super excited about it. Cool. Yeah, I've been here since Tuesday as well. And the days are just pretty much running together, just playing different stuff. It's 
I, my wife's looked at me and just said several times, she's like, you look exhausted. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is a job now all of a sudden. This is almost not a hobby anymore. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, let's jump into Wits and Wagers, the party edition, because you have a couple of things that are going to be coming out, new Kickstarter yep. that you were just telling me about. So mm-hmm. fill everybody else in about some of those things. Okay, so a few years ago, let me look at the back of the box, because I, I think 2012 is when we get, 2015's on the box, but I believe this was 2012. I might be wrong. I hope nobody at North Star gets mad at me. We put out Wits and Wagers, the party edition, which was Wits and Wagers pared down. Uh, rather than putting the odds and all that stuff on the table, it was all on the chips. You had a $100 or a $200 chip, and everything paid even money. And it was a neat idea in the Wits and Wagers system. We've now decided to go the other way. So now we're doing a thing called Wits of, uh, Vegas Wits and Wagers. Vegas Wits and Wagers will be available on Kickstarter starting on the 19th of August, which also just happens to be, coincidentally, the Saturday of Gen Con. Uh, And what Vegas Wits and Wagers is, is it's a giant mat. And the mat is like nearly three foot by two foot. It's like a, it's like a damn throw rug. Uh, (laughs) It really, it's big. It makes a party. This is a party game. And we know that a lot of folks, especially in sort of the the community that we're in, in the hobby community, play it as a one player game and seven of us sit around a table. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to knock that. But if you want to play 21 people playing this game, 28 people playing this game, this is the mat that you want to have. One side of it is deluxe wits and wagers, just like you've seen it before, but on a giant uh, throw rug sized uh, baby blanket of a, of a mat. Uh, it is uh, made out of neoprene, so it is just like a giant mouse pad. So also, if you don't care about wits and wagers, but you just need a three foot by two foot mouse pad, we also are plenty happy if you want to buy our product for that. Uh, and then the other side of the game is what's called Vegas Wits and Wagers. Uh, it is a double-sided mat. The second side is a, a relatively brand new game. We still keep Wits and Wagers like you've seen it. The middle of the board is the same, but we've added some bets. We've added a black and red where you can bet all of the high numbers or all of the low numbers for a lower odds payout. Uh, we've added a track at the bottom that actually reminds you what question of the game you're in. And now you put... 100 for question one, 200 for question two, up to 700 for question seven. So that as the game goes on and more money gets out there and you see people with big stacks, getting the closest without going over answer is now more and more valuable to you. And then the final bet we've added is called the long shot. When everybody writes down their answers and you put them face down on the board, you now can bet a person rather than a number. Before the numbers are revealed, if you know somebody out there is like really knowledgeable in baseball, you can bet them at a 10 to one payout that they're gonna know the answer. So now it gives you a chance to play the players, not just play the game and the numbers. So it really does a lot of that on top of being this gigantic uh, welcome mat of a of a play mat that really is, I think the final dimensions are 34 by, or 32 by 22 or 34 by 24, but it's nearly three foot by two foot. It's really just, I can't stress to you how cool a mat this is and just how big it is and how much it fills up the room and really makes the party. Shipping this through Kickstarter should be a very interesting um, thing for you guys to hurdle to come over because that's it's going to be interesting to get that thing shipped out to all the customers. Oh, there's no doubt about it. The the one good thing about it is is and I gotta hope I'm telling the truth because this is what I was told is that we're only going to have two levels of funding for this. There's only going to be the mat and the mat with the party edition so that you can easily expand it. So we've decided since I do think you're right, there are going to be some hurdles in shipping. Uh, it's in a tube. It's a big boy. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to kind of make it so at least there are fewer things for us to have to send out so that we can make it up on speed, what we're going to lose in just figuring out how to mail out these giant mats. 
You could go bigger tube, no box, take all the guts from the Wits and Wagers box and just stuff it in the tube. That, and just that, ship out one tube to everybody. That may be. And then additionally with the tube, if you have the party edition, there are more chips. So there are 500s and 1,000 so you can pay out. There's also a board for Elvis. In the party edition, there's an Elvis character, and he has a single one. We now have a blank board for him and two party chips so that he can be a part of the game. So now you can play seven players. And that is all shoved in the tube. Uh, there also should be stretch goals. The stretch goals are going to be... I've been told, more question packs. Uh, so there will be additional questions. You guys in the press that just got a copy of it, you're not getting the additional <laughs> questions. Uh, but there will be additional questions. In theory, they're going to be with it, and depending on how far it funds, uh, that will get those in there. Okay, and all of this stuff is tentative. So just as everybody knows, we won't say that this is actually happening, but this is what, like we said, Bruce has been told. Yeah, that, that's the thing. And I have learned now, go, being from, from your side, now coming over to my side, that you have this beautiful idea, and then all of a sudden someone tells you, like, um, yeah, we can't ship a tube. Right. And you're like, well, but they make a shipping tube. And then someone's like, yeah, but we can't ship them. It becomes, we have a lot of moments, and we have through a lot of these things, that becomes like the spinal tap, but it goes to 11. Yep. Where you're like, but no, 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 it's a box. We don't ship that size box. Well, what do you mean? It's a, like, what do you mean you don't ship it? You mean it's expensive to ship it? No, we don't ship it. You're like, well, okay, I don't even know what to do with that. So barring some moment like that, which we're not that far in the process, uh, to fully have that figured out. Although I feel like the people that do that probably have it worked out. But no one tells the guy who sends cat pictures to cat pictures the logistics of the tube shipping. Like, I have to assume we have it worked out. But it is a pretty, it's a, it's a heavy guy. Yeah, it's on a need-to-know basis, and right now you haven't gotten that need yet. No, not, not at all. <laughs> all right. So a couple of other things that we were looking at out there. Can you go into a little bit about some of the things that up, that's upcoming for Evolution? Yes, Evolution has a few things going on. Uh, one, we have the Evolution Smaller Box. So what that is is, so everybody that knows Evolution knows it was sort of in a ticket-to-ride-sized box, and it had a price point, I want to say around $55. I, I believe so, yeah. And we have Climate, which is a fantastic game. It had a price point of $60. I enjoyed it. Talked about it on my podcast probably about a month ago. Fantastic. <laughs> and one of the hard things to describe to people was why Evolution was 55 and Evolution Climate was 60 when it had another board and it had more It just had more going on. Uh, so what we did was we went back to the drawing board and said, what can we do to still keep a North Star-quality game but get the price point down. So we've made the box smaller. Um, we did make some what I consider improvements. The watering hole, if you know our game, now has the art done by Catherine Hamilton, the same woman who did all the rest of the art in the game. So it is super cool. Uh, we took the bags out. Uh, we replaced those with screens. What I like about the screens are there's foliage on the screens, and if you push them right up against the watering hole, it actually makes like a diorama. Uh, as a note to those of you out there, if you already own Evolution and you're angry, oh my goodness, how could you possibly make a new watering hole and not make it available? Uh, we will have it on the website. There's actually gonna be a package we're gonna have that is the watering hole and the screen. So you can just get the, we don't really consider it an upgrade pack. It's more like a lateral step. It's just a different visual watering hole, but it will be available on our website for folks. And the watering hole is a neoprene mat, almost no. just, oh, it's no, not? No, 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 The watering oh. hole in the small box Evolution. You've mixed up stuff. Okay. Uh, so I don't want okay. to That was my bad. Oh, yeah. So, no, it is still a piece of cardboard. It's a really sexy piece of cardboard, though. It did, it did look good. I thought, I, thought it looked, I thought it was neoprene. Yeah, no, no, no. It is a... I, I think eventually that may be a thing we'll make, but right now for Evolution, that is not what that is. That is a sexy piece of cardboard. Uh, also, the cards, there are some cards that you need to flip over or you need to play before cards are flipped over, before food. And before we were real subtle and there was like a green vine mm -hmm. and we realized that was just too subtle. So now there's an icon in the top left corner 
to remind new players that you have to deal with this before cards are flipped over. Uh, those are the big changes. Everything else is exactly the same. It is not like a director's cut of the game. It is the same game. If you have it, the only thing you'll need to get is the watering hole. If you don't, this is a great time to jump on because now it's going to have a $40 price point, which just makes more sense in our line. Right. Um, now, there is a neoprene mat. The neoprene mat is for, uh, is for climate. Okay. There, that's right. Yeah. So the climate track now, I love climate. Great game. Uh, it has a puzzle piece board, which it fits in the box and it needed to. And some people were like, oh, it's a puzzle piece board. Uh, so we were making ourselves some of these neoprene mouse pads. And then we decided to make enough to sell at a couple of shows and see how people feel about them. So it is the full board with the Catherine Hamilton art, exactly the same size as the game, as the, uh, as the climate track that's in the game. Uh, but it's made out of neoprene. It's like it's another mouse pad. It's double-sided, so it plays the two and three and the four and five player sets. Or the two to three and the four to six player sets. Sorry. Um, and it's really cool. It's super cool. We're selling it right now at Origins. We'll have it at Gen Con. We'll have it at Dice Tower. And depending on how people feel about it, if they really like it, it really is a thing people want. Uh, it'll come to our website. And all willing, if everybody wants it, it may eventually come to your friendly local game store. Uh, we're not against that. It's just right now we really are testing to see if this is something people really want. If they really want to kind of pimp out their version of climate, which we hope they do. It did look really nice. I saw both sides of it, and it does look just as nice as the one for Wits and Wagers. And now there's also a digital version coming of Evolution yes. that Melissa was showing me, yes. which looks outstanding. It, it absolutely is, and they've gone through so many iterations because what we want to be is the most polished board game app that you've seen. Uh, it's going to have live matchmaking. It's going to have smooth animations. It's going to have a really good tutorial. It's going to have everything that we think. A lot of times you see when people review uh, sort of video games in the board game space, it's they did this one thing real well. Or this looked really good, but I didn't really like the game. Or uh, it had a really good tutorial and I understood how to play, but the game was meh. Or once I could get past the tutorial that made absolutely no sense, the game was pretty good under there. Or I really wish there was online matchmaking because I want to play this with more than just against the computer. Or So we're working our way through all of that to really make it the best possible digital experience uh, that you can have. And I know that has a Kickstarter. I want to say that is also an August Kickstarter. I believe that's what Melissa mentioned to me. I believe she said it was going to be in August. Yeah, yeah that makes sense to me. Although the same way, like, she sort of remembers things right. about the cardboard size. Everything here is tentative. Everything here is tentative. Uh, and we're working on the alpha right now. We've had people in that. We're getting all of their feedback and, and fixing accordingly and seeing kind of what creaks and, and all that kind of stuff because we're just trying to make it the best possible digital implementation we, we can. Uh, that's the one thing if you look at North Star Games, whether you like them or don't, I hope you like them. Uh, I do, I've never heard a person that didn't realize the amount of time we put in to making every game and crafting as well as we possibly can. And we don't plan to make this digital implementation any different. We're spending all the time we need to make it as polished as we possibly can to make it. We really hope that everyone thinks what we think, that it is the best digital implementation of a board game and that it stands up both as a video game on the video game side if you don't even know there's a board game and for the finicky board game public that does know there's a board game and still wants the, the app to have certain things. We think it really is going to hopefully be everything to all those people. Yeah, from what I've seen so far, the UI looks very user-friendly. Mm -hmm. The animations and everything and the, the artwork is really nice, looks great. 
Mm-hmm. So I, what I played of it so far, what Melissa took me through was really was really cool. So I kind of can't wait to see the final impl- implementation of that. Yep. And far as I know, that should be coming out whenever the final end of everything is in the Kickstarter. And we actually put it out to full public, everybody. It's going to come out on Steam for PC. It's also going to be in the App Store for Apple and in the Google Play Store for Android all at the same time is what we're hoping. So that's the other thing that's kind of taking us time. If you've been following the story, uh, we've been threatening for this thing to come out for quite a while. And it's because we say, oh, well, we could just put it on the PC. And then people say, oh, my God, no, you can't. So uh, we want to make sure that we have, we have as much stuff as we possibly can so as many people can jump into what is really a really cool game. Cool. All right. Final question, and then we're going to let you get back to work. Okay. What have you been playing lately? Anything new? Um, I'm trying to think of what I've had new here. You know, okay, so here's what I'll hit you with because it's not at all serious. And we ran into this at BGG Spring, and we liked it so much we've brought it with us to play with people here. Uh, it's this game called... It's something with a fox, and it's made by Goliath, who makes children's games, okay, and makes like spring-loaded games and things like that. And it is a it's a physical plastic fox, and from under this fox mechanism, you pull these pants out. You wrap the pants around the fox, and you roll a die, and you put chickens in his pants, and you tap him on the head. And at some point, the mechanism fires. His pants disappear. The chickens hit the table, and you have to grab the chickens and as fast as you can. And here's the thing from the people that made Happy Salmon. It is really a fantastic little toy game to play with. It sounds like it, yes. And that, that is the thing I'm going to talk about that I've really gotten into. We've played kind of some prototypes that we're considering for the company and that sort of stuff. I don't really want to talk about that because I'm not really. But, yeah, I, I think it's – we just keep calling it the, the awesome fox game. But I have to tell you, if you're out there, if you take a look at our Twitter uh, a couple of months ago, we actually did a video of it while it was playing. I'm um, going to have to look for that. That sounds interesting. Yeah, we have it over at the booth just that we're messing with because uh, we really, really dig it. Uh, but I love seeing those kind of like stupid toy games. Those just make me so happy. They're just so straightforward fun. So that's the, the thing I've been playing that's super new lately that isn't super, super new. Got it. Cool. Thank you. All right, everybody. That's my interview here with Bruce Vogue from North Star Games. Thank you very much, Bruce. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And we will be back later with some more interviews. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Okay, I would definitely like to thank Bruce Vogue for sitting down and spending some time with me. It was so great meeting him, as well as getting a chance to sit down and talk to him about some of the stuff that North Star Games has coming out. I'm really looking forward to some of the stuff that they have coming together. All right, now we're going to jump over to an interview I did with Sam Bailey. He is a designer who is working with Leader Games, who we all may know is the publisher who put out Vast the Crystal Caverns. Sam is working on a 4X game called Deep Enemy Frontier, which I did play and write a little bit about on my website, so go check that out. But I'll give you a little hint. It was a pretty damn good game. All right, let's hear what Sam and I had to discuss. I am here with Sam Bailey from Leader Games. We're going to be talking about his game, Deep Enemy Frontier. Sam, how's the con going for you so far for take two here? (laughs) Doing pretty well. Uh, Just been running the booth, uh, showing off Deep, trying to sell some other prototypes. Cool, so we got a look at Deep Enemy Frontier yesterday. Tell everybody a little bit about how the game plays, some of the different roles that are available. Um, It's a 4X game, that's a space game. Yeah, so kind of the tagline is the 4X game where each player plays as one X. So why everyone does a little bit of everything, they really focus on one of those Xs. And if you're unfamiliar, the Xs are explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. So the rules are you've got the rival, who is the alien menace, 
There are all the different aliens that have been kind of subjugated by the human empire for thousands of years. And now that the empire is weak, they've joined together to try to exterminate all of humanity. Then you've got the captain, and the captain is kind of like your pulp hero from the old 30s uh, comics and, and that sort of thing, like the Buck Rogers kind of S guy. And he is going around exploring, discovering new worlds, and his goal is to become more famous than the emperor so that when he returns to the capital, he is made emperor and wins the game. And then you have the emperor, empire itself, and the empire is in a bad state um, is trying to rebuild by exploiting its colonies, um, extracting resources, and it kind of has a parasitic relationship with the captain. Because as the captain discovers new worlds and opens up n- new places to extract goods, then the, the Empire just gobbles them up to try to fuel its its engine. Uh, and then the last role is kind of the most unique role, in my opinion, and it's the usurper. And the usurper is the rebellion who tries to expand within the Empire and bring it down from within. And they're interesting because they don't have their a full turn themselves. They take a mini turn on each other player's turn because they've got this conspiracy track that they get to place cards down. And these cards are taken by other players at the beginning of the other player's turn. And when that happens, uh, the usurper gets to take a corresponding action on their conspiracy. Yeah, I played as the captain yesterday, and I actually really liked it. I thought... The, the play style that he had was really interesting and it I thought it was pretty neat the way that you will sometimes be working with your opponents and then five minutes later probably be going against them and trying to for lack of a better term kind of screw them over stab them in the back yeah, yeah we had a, a game I ran a game a full game uh, yesterday afternoon and the captain at the beginning while I was getting used to things and stuff was going around exploring worlds doing what the captain's going to do but then towards the end, he just like went full weapons and started blowing up rival presence and blowing up goods so the Empire couldn't build their last building, and just he just went full pirate. <laughs> now, how, now, are you working for Leader Games now? Because when we were talking yesterday, you had mentioned you used to work for Fantasy Flight. Yeah. So are you fully working for Leader Games now, or are you just game designing and just getting this published through Leader Games? Yeah, I'm just doing freelance. So, uh, like, I met Patrick... Um, just after I stopped working at Fantasy Flight down at PAX South uh, over a year ago. Um, and we found out that we lived next to each other. And so I started like going over to his house for game nights. And um, then he said, like, I have this idea. Do you want to try to design a game for me? So I just I freelance did this game for him and inked, inked a contract. And I've just been here helping him out. And I, I've gone to a few cons with him just helping out Vast and stuff because he's a friend of mine and we get along pretty well. Yeah, Vast is one I've definitely liked. I've had Patrick on the podcast before we've talked about. So how long has your game been in development? How long have you been working on this one? Has this been an idea you've had for a while? Is this something that you've been just started working on recently? Because it seems very well polished from what I played yesterday. We... The game design effectively started Gen Con last year because I was uh, trying to pitch another game of mine um, at Gen Con and it didn't go, didn't go so well. And I had written down with Patrick and was writing back up with Patrick, and I was kind of kind of down in the dumps. So I think I think he kind of pity offered me <laughs> this this design. But he's like, I have this idea of of effectively an asymmetrical space game with these four roles, and that's pretty much what he all he said and then that kind of had got my 
brain popping and we talked a little bit and, and kind of brainstormed some in the car, the drive, like the 10, 10 hour drive up to back to Minneapolis. Um, and then I got home and I'm like pumped out a prototype in like a week and started playing it and pretty much been working on it. Um, pretty hardcore since then. So, um, yeah, it's gone through plenty of iterations and I think it's in a really good shape now. There's a few little tweaks I want to do, but nothing major. What were some of the early iterations and some of the stuff that's changed? I mean, from like the first time you kind of came up with the whole idea, what are some of the, I think you said that you had renamed the captain. Yeah, the captain used to just be called the citizen. Um, because there was kind of more of a like '50s era like dominant empire feel and like the kind of the the citizen fighting against the empire and stuff, but that was most that was a little bit of Patrick's idea and he, he was <laughs> he was stubborn to let it go but finally enough people said just name him the captain so I still I still mess it up like in the game last night I was I kept on calling it the citizen and people were like what are you who's the citizen what are you talking about I'm like I'm sorry <laughs> it's just been been that for so long. Yeah, when something like that changes, it is. It does take a while for your brain to just remember. Okay, that's changed now. So, what what are some other things that maybe have changed over the iteration of the whole design from from the initial things? I guess what are some of the biggest changes that you've done? I think the biggest change has been to the usurper. Um, the usurper was very different. It had its own turn. Um, he always had. They always had the conspiracy track, but the way it functioned was very different. Uh, it used to have like you get to directly pick what option you have, and uh, I've gone through so many iterations. It's really hard to remember them all. By the way, a, a game designer is like often the worst person to ask what a rules question is or about something about a game because I've got like. 15 different ru rule sets for the same game in my head <laughs> and the more the more I design a game the less I actually know what it's supposed to do <laughs> that's crazy so it sounds like from talking to Patrick you guys are probably possibly, possibly thinking about putting this thing out on Kickstarter yeah. have you guys talked about any like what stretch goals might be for any of this stuff have you guys even given thought to any of those types of things yet yeah we've talked about it and given thought to it um can you give us a little tip on or a little hint to what, what may be with there? I will say one thing that I would like to be a stretch goal, but again, it's it's up to Patrick. So, so this is all tentative. Okay, this is nothing, nothing is set in stone here. I would love an embossed board because it's a spacescape with like these like channels through space and these sectors and stuff. And I would love to emboss all that and have like shiny stars on it and like raised, like slightly raised pathways and stuff. Like I think that would look really cool for, for a stretch goal. Even if it's just like a Kickstarter exclusive and not for the final game. But if it was final game, it would be great. I just, I, I've seen some embossed boards when I worked at FFG. They got like brought in a few like little prototypes with embossed boards, see how they were and they said not to use them. But ever since then, I'm like, I want to make a game with a boss board because they look awesome. <laughs> yes, that, that, from what I can tell from the game so far, that probably would be really outstanding, especially if you had 3D components as well. Yeah. As far as your resources, your ships are going to be 3D because they're all going to be modeled and everything like that. So that would really make the game pop and definitely make it very visual appealing on yeah. the table when it, hit, when it would hit the table. All right, so we've talked a little about the game. Let's talk about maybe... A few of the other things you've been playing. Have you had a chance to actually play anything besides Deep Enemy Frontier lately, or are you just too busy playtesting? Well, I'm also I've also had another prototype that I'm pitching here that I was playtesting for the past three weeks. Um, but most of the time, if 
people are coming over to my place to play games, it's usually a prototype. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's been hard to play other games, and I, I miss it. Like, I try to go to game nights and stuff like that, but um, I'm just my day job is games and I'm by myself I work at home so it's not like when I used to work at FFG it was very easy to go hey let's play a game after work or let's play a game during lunch and now that I'm like by myself for most of the time um, mostly play testing either my, my own stuff or other people's stuff because once all your friends are designers that's like that's <laughs> what you do when you get together everybody is together for a prototype night I think the, the, the last actual non-prototype game I played was yesterday and it was like the the Spice Road, like Century Spice Road. Century, Century Spice Road. Yeah, that's that. That was the last game I played, and before then, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. That's that's rough. And it's weird because I used to play every game I could. Like a new game, I want to play it once. I want to see what the design is. I want to kind of cannibalize it and take what ideas I had, but. Can you talk a little bit about the other prototype that you're actually showing off, or is that yeah. something you can't even mention? Yeah, um, so the the in work the working name the working title is um, Boomtown. Um, it is a city building worker placement game set in a comic book setting, um, in which villains keep on destroying all your buildings. They they never do that. Uh, <laughs> Superman Returns begs to differ. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so that's that's gone over pretty well. Like that was a game that I've been working on with my friend uh, Brian Severson, um, and we like the first time we kind of came up with the idea, it just clicked, and it's like we got to make this game, um, and it's turned out really well, and had pretty good reception for the people I've showed it to now. So hopefully, I can get that that sold off and uh, get it out to the public because I think people deserve to play it. That sounds like an interesting one. You said worker placement, and my ears perked up. That's definitely one of my favorite mechanisms in a game. And we're going to continue our conversation um, to talk more about his game. Sam, how's it going for you today so far? Oh, it's going pretty well. I got another big old demo in. Uh, actually, like three demos this morning for Deep, and everyone's enjoying it quite a bit. I see that you're actually having people write down some information and their thoughts about the game. How's the feedback coming for that one so far? Ah, pretty good. Uh, you get a little bit... The common feedback is, I don't understand the other roles as well, but that's to be expected <laughs> in an asymmetrical game, and you're only playing once, one demo. But uh, yeah, pretty much fours across the board, which is the highest rating for uh, that it's fun. Excellent. Yeah, again. yeah I, thought, I thought it was a really good game. I'm hoping, like we said the other day, that it's the next one that um, Patrick is actually going to kickstart. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, what else you got going on at the show, or what else you want to chat about? Well, I just wanted to uh, kind of give a shout-out to, to both Patrick for giving me this opportunity um, and making this game. He's been great to work with. And also mention that uh, Kyle Farron, who is the artist who did Vast, Crystal Caverns, is doing all the art for uh, Deep, and it is looking fantastic. Um, we're kind of taking the aesthetic of like 1950s pulp fiction, like pulp uh, sci-fi books and kind of taking that but doing like the Kyle Farron spin on it and so there's amazing little aliens um, we got this badass empress who, who rules over the empire uh, this spindly captain uh, who looks pretty cool so really looking forward to seeing what else he puts out for those designs sounds great alright 
All right, thanks a lot, Sam. I'm going to let you get back out to the show because I know you got some more demos to run out there. I'm going to hit up, probably eat some lunch right now. It was good seeing you again, and I cannot wait to see the game. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, I'd really like to thank Sam for spending a little bit of time with me. I know he was really busy showing off his game and doing quite a few demos, but we were able to sit down and talk for a little bit. Next, we're going to jump over to Sarah Erickson from Renegade Games. I've had her on the podcast before, so it's always a pleasure sitting down and talking to her. I really enjoy Renegade Games, a lot of the stuff that they put out. There were several new games that they had at Origins. They have several new things that are coming out at Gen Con. Let's see what Sarah has to say. Hey everybody, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now. I am sitting here with Sarah Erickson from Renegade Games, and we are going to find out how her convention is going and some of the new games that Renegade Games has coming out here. So, hey Sarah, how are you doing and how is the con going so far? It is wonderful, and one of my favorite things about Origins is we actually get a little bit of extra time to spend with the fans, and some of the other conventions we go to are so crazy and so packed with meetings and all that that we don't have that nice downtime. So I've really enjoyed getting to spend some time with the people who love our games. And I will say, after going to Gen Con last year, Origins is much, much calmer and way less hectic than Origins or than Gen Con was last year. I even told my wife, this is definitely a much smaller convention than Gen Con. It is much smaller, but in a very positive way. I really like the atmosphere here. People are really helpful and friendly. And I think that the publishers, like myself, do get a little bit of extra time to spend with people. So that just makes us all happier. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. And it's, it's nice because I can actually sit down. I wanted to interview people last year at Gen Con, and I was like, there's just no way we'd be able to do what I'm doing right now. I go at Gen Con, it just seemed like it was just so crazy and hectic. So... But let's start talking games, because that's why we're all here. So you guys have a couple of new games that you're kind of releasing here at Origins. First one being Sentient. Give us a rundown of what this game is. I bought a copy for a friend, so let me know what this is. Yeah, Sentient is one of three new games we have coming out at Origins, and it is about taking these sentient robots and putting them into your factory. You plug them in, you manipulate some dice, and there's a bit of set collection, a little bit of area control, but really the overall feel of the game is you've got these several moving pieces that all influence each other. Every time you plug a new bot into your factory, it manipulates the dice, it changes them, and you're trying to get the dice to be certain numbers based on the bots you have plugged in so that they are activated. You sort of want the most efficient system possible. And plugging in future bots will change those schematics a little bit and make other bots either more or less efficient. So it's a big puzzle working that out. But every time you take a bot to plug into your factory, you have to choose how much influence you want to put over basically the area you bought it from. So that's another moving piece because when you buy it, you add investor tokens there. And if you collect enough of these investor tokens for the right bots that you have purchased, then you get a whole bunch of points at the end of the game. But that might influence which bots you pick during the game, which will give you more or less points. So there's all these pieces that fit together in this beautiful, puzzly world. And I think J. Alex Cavern, the designer of it, was also the designer of World's Fair. And he's just a very talented mathematician, designer, very analytical. And he generally creates games I really love because they're low player conflict, but they're still good interaction. And I think that's hard to do. So we're very excited 
excited about. Players have loved it. The dice in it are incredibly beautiful. One of my favorite parts of the game for sure. Yeah, the dice the dice do look great. Now that I actually know what it's about, now I'm very interested in it. So I think I may actually have to, since you have the components here now, because we weren't able to play test it yesterday. So since everything's here today, I'm going to definitely be playing this before I leave on Sunday. I definitely want to get this one to the table and see what this one's like. I can't wait to show it to you. Yeah, it's so hot off the press that we didn't even have all the parts here by Thursday morning. <laughs> Our factory has been incredible. They printed stuff super duper fast for me and got all the pieces here. So now we have beautiful full games to sell everybody. That's awesome. And then one of the other games I actually play tested with my wife that I was surprised she liked. My wife does not like co-op games. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. She will normally completely walk away from a co-op game. She played Flip Ships. Loved it. I stood there completely baffled looking at like are you even my wife because I'm completely confused right now but it's it was a lot of fun and she said it like reminded her of Space Invaders and Centipede and everything and she goes that was actually just really cool to play and I think that what you mentioned about her not liking co-op games actually makes a lot of sense with flip ships because there's no one person telling her what to do it's all about can I take this little tiny cardboard disc and flip it onto the board and it's just fun it kind of brings you back to being a kid and just doing this little silly thing a few times but it's as a team and so when you do hit one of those ships and you blow up these invaders everybody cheers almost every time it's a big deal it's like being part of a sports team without all the stress of it so it's an incredibly fun game I love the artwork in it as well and we're very happy to have the artist here on site this weekend Mm -hmm. the he's Quanchai Moria and he's going to be signing games for us uh, on Saturday day tomorrow one to three that was going to be another question i have because that was yet another game that i picked up for a friend and he was asking me if i could get that signed for him so that was going to be one of the other questions i had when <laughs> when he was going to be here because he i was asked to get a signed copy of that one. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful so we have the artist on site this weekend but if you're around at gen con we'll have the designer there as well and oh, cool. king Klinko is just one of my favorite people in the industry he is so fantastic and talented and humble at the same time so we're very lucky to to have him on our booth and helping us demo games at Gen Con. Cool. All right. So you mentioned there are three things here. We've talked to. What's the last one that you guys have coming out here at Origins? The last one is a partnership we're doing with Foxtrot Games, and it is called The Fox in the Forest. And it is very unique because it's a two-player-only trick-taking game, which I know of one other one that I am in love with. It's a very old, traditional French card game called Piquet, and I played it a ton with my husband because we like trick-taking games, but there's only two of us. So we played that right after we got married a bunch, and I haven't seen another one since. So we were super excited to get The Fox in the Forest under our belt and it works as a two-player game for several reasons all of the odd number cards have special abilities that will modify the rules of the game and make things change enough that you're not sort of stuck in one back and forth it also only has three suits so the whole entire deck is much more limited than in a normal trick-taking game which makes a big difference and the other thing that it does is it has dynamic scoring if you collect one to three tricks then you you shoot the moon sort of like you would in hearts and you get six points which is a lot in the game 
but if you're too greedy and you collect all of the points or all of the tricks you get zero points and then in between there are different points depending on how many tricks you collect so at the beginning of the game you might be trying to collect tricks then you realize that your opponent doesn't have any it starts getting dangerous so then you're not trying to collect tricks and so as the game progresses you have different goals and that really helps as a two-player game because there's much more back and forth than there would be otherwise I have a feeling I'm going to be at your booth probably all tomorrow morning because I want to see that and Sentient. So those are definitely things that I want to play because, like I talked about on my podcast, my wife and I do a lot of gaming ourselves besides me going down to the game store. But there's just a lot of two-player games that we like to play. So any type of two-player trick game right up our alley. I think that would be something that we'd both be very interested in. So I'm going to have to check that one out too. But So you guys are releasing three things here at Origins. And you guys have just had a couple of recent releases as well. I mean, Hanshu? I go just came out uh, that's you guys are releasing a lot of stuff all at one time how did you guys coordinate all this stuff and get all these things I mean that's like a lot of good stuff coming out right within success you know right after one another yeah well I really give a lot of credit to honestly the press that helps us out and get the word out about our games because there are a ton of fans out there who are being inundated by lots of different information but due to the fantastic people who listen to podcasts and the people who create podcasts we did get the word out about all of these games and Hanshu was definitely one of those it was a huge success at Essen last year and we heard about it through press and I bought a copy myself because it sounded really cool. I played it with my husband a ton. We loved it. And so then we picked it up after that. And even now that's coming out in the U.S., we've had a ton of support from the community, people who had the old version just gushing about it and seeing how much they love it. So we had a very successful launch with that. Flatline also just came out, and it was, from a marketing standpoint, honestly a little bit easier because it's part of the Fuse universe. It's another King Clanko game. People love his stuff, and it is a successor to Fuse in a lot of ways. It's a bigger, heavier game, but it is on the same ship. It's in the same universe. It has a lot of the same gamer elements to it it's just more stuff to deal with more things going on all at the same time but you're still rolling dice it's cooperative it has a timer all that fun stuff so all of the people who love fuse are now coming back and saying we want more so that makes it a little easier as a launch but yeah we've got a lot going on and it's not gonna slow down <laughs> yeah it's definitely i was I, when i was putting my notes together last night i was sitting there and i was thinking i was like they have a bunch of stuff coming out of origins and i'm like and they just released a bunch of stuff that I know just came into my local game store. I was like, good lord, that's a lot of games in a very short amount of time. So what else past Origins are we going to look to see from you guys? Possibly anything new at Gen Con or after that? I mean, I know this can't be it, so I know there's got to be more. (laughs) We have a lot of stuff, and we have not announced even a fraction of it, but some of the things that are public knowledge at this point um, include Scott Pilgrim, which will be one of our next really big releases. I'm super excited for that, mostly because not only is it an incredibly well-designed game by a well-known designer, uh, um, Keith Baker, but it also will bring a whole new crowd of people into this industry and we all need people to play with or else we can't enjoy this lovely hobby and things like Scott Pilgrim that appeal to a crowd very close to us who hasn't been exposed to board games yet is I think very important and we've been doing that since we started as a company we've just been making great games that appeal to a wide variety of people and doing something like Scott Pilgrim that's licensed I think just brings in even more of that group so uh, it does a great job servicing the fans I think they're going to love it and look for more board games after yes i'm glad you mentioned
mention that because I do have several guys that I do game with. They were like, make sure you ask Randy Beto okay, about, you know, Scott Pilgrim. That was one of the things that I was supposed to ask about, and I had forgotten to write it down. So I'm glad you brought that one up because <laughs> I had forgotten about it. Um, is there anything else that you guys can say? I know I'm, not, I know I'm probably not going to be able to get any exclusives or anything, but is there anything else besides that one? Yeah, absolutely. So we have just recently announced Ex Libris, and I'm very excited about this game because my favorite mechanic in general is worker placement. And it's a worker placement game. Which, I'm, right there, I'm right there with you. Oh, I love it. It's so fun. And it's about building a library and alphabetizing books. And my mom's a librarian. So it's just amazing. It's in this absolutely beautiful, unique fantasy setting. You've got ghosts and bookworms, which are these crazy big worm creatures, and goblins and gnomes and everybody in between. And those are playable characters. You can play as a gelatinous cube if you want to. And each different character has a special ability along with two regular assistants. And those workers will go out onto tiles that are the action spaces, but they don't stay static. Every round, those action space tiles will get discarded new ones will come out one or two of them will still be on the board from previous rounds but those new action spaces mean that every round you have to have a new strategy you can't just do the same thing over and over again which i think is a trap that a lot of worker placement games fall into and so you taking those actions to be able to shelve books which means you're creating these bookshelves in your beautiful shop and you're competing for the best library and as you put those books in there you can only place these li- these book cards or like three or four books at a time on a little shelf card you place them down uh, orthogonally adjacent to other cards that have already been placed but at the end of the game it needs to be all in alphabetical order and you can't move them after you place them down unless you have some special thing that lets you do that so it's a big puzzle of trying to figure out where all the different cards are going to go and if you have the right cards in your hand because I may have an A and an E and an Z, well, how do I put those down on my board and keep them in some semblance of alphabetical order? Very puzzling, very fun. It's by Adam P. McIver. He's a talented designer. He's uh, worked for several other companies in the past, and he also is a graphic designer, so the game is unbelievably beautiful. Yeah. Yes, Liam. Worker placements, definitely one of the favorites in my books. I love work, worker placement games, and that sounds like there's some new things going on in there, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. So here's one, and I know, I don't think you guys have announced anything on this, or at least I, if you have, I haven't seen it. Anything else in the work for Clank? So Clank is definitely a very big hit for us, no denying that. And we did put out one expansion already, but there's no reason to slow down on that. So we do not have anything else uh, announced for it, but I can tell you that there we did actually just announce last week that we are doing an event kit that'll be in local stores and that i am shipping out hopefully next week to local stores so starting in july you should be able to go and play and win this awesome golden dragon meeple if you are one of the lucky players there's also promo cards in there and just it'll be a fun event definitely check those out we're also doing them here at origins and at gen con as well um as far as your products go keep your ears and eyes open <laughs> for that um, and also of course there's the app and you can if you haven't explored that yet the solo play content in there is fast fantastic and keep your eyes on that one too because that's not done either 
there's a lot of people that I tell the app about. Um, a lot of the different board game Facebook groups that I'm in, when people ask about Clank, I always mention, don't forget about the app. Because a lot of people, I don't think, realize that the app is out there. And they're like, what's the name of it? And what is this? You know, I never knew about it. And I'm like, download the Renegade app. It's really easy. It just makes the game just a little bit more, um, you know, adds a little bit more variability to it and everything. I go, it's a lot of cool, you know, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, everybody's always like, you know, thank you for mentioning that. But it's, yeah, there's a lot of people I don't think realize that you guys have actually expanded on the app. Because I think originally it just contained the countdown clock for Fuse. Mm -hmm. And then you added in Lanterns as well as Clank into the app. Is there anything else you're going to be adding into besides just those three? We just barely added Flatline. It okay. has its own unique timer because Fuse is a 10-minute countdown timer. Right. Flatline, you actually have several things that you need to maintain at the beginning and end of the round, and then there's a one-minute timer in the middle. So we made an entirely new section in the app for just Flatline that will walk you through the steps of a turn. It'll do the one-minute timer. There's still snarky comments in it, I promise, which are fantastic. And then it walks you through the end of the round steps as well. So it's not only a great timer, but it actually does help you play the game a little bit easier. Cool. All right. So let's do the last question I like to ask people. What have you been playing lately? So I actually spent last week on a cruise with my family and I carefully picked as many games as I could possibly fit into my tiny suitcase I had to carry on to the plane with me and I brought Zulkin, which is not a small game but I really really wanted to play it a bunch of times. <laughs> I love that game. I brought all three of the exit games because my brother and his new wife are not gamers really but they love puzzles and uh, they love cooperative games, so I knew they would enjoy those ones. And then I also brought Explorers of the North Sea because we just picked up Raiders of the North Sea. That's also coming out at Gen Con, and it is very hard to get a hold of. And so I didn't have a copy of Raiders of the North Sea because we're waiting for ours that we're printing right now. But I found a copy of Explorers of the North Sea, and I'm honestly really happy that that's the one I ended up with because, like I said, my brother and his wife don't usually play games. And uh, Explorers of the North Sea is a really simple, beautiful tile placement game where you're building these fjords. And we were in Norway for our cruise. Oh, wow. And so it was the perfect setting. I have lots of pictures of Explorers of the North Sea with Viking remains and things. That's <laughs> super fun. Um, but it is an incredibly great introduction gateway game to tile placement, little bit area control, uh, several different ways to get points. And they were blown away by it and to me it's like oh this is a nice simple introductory game and they're like we've never seen anything like this this is so amazing they played Carcassonne and that was a little bit much for them all the point scoring at the end was complicated in this one they really just love the simplicity and the beauty of it and the artwork's fantastic so I those were the only the main games i also brought quicks we played that a ton okay. little roll and write game it's super fun um we brought honshu and played that with them so several good little games it's hard to find good travel games and that's yeah. that's mostly what we had in our bag so how many games of zulkin did you get in we got two full games of Zulkin in, and I won both of them, and suddenly my husband wasn't interested in playing anymore i don't know what that was about that's kind of funny that you just mentioned that because 
my wife and I were watching something, a video or something the other night, and I think it had showed, showed Zolkin, and she has never played it before. I played it multiple times. I played it with the expansion and everything, and I really liked it. And she loves worker placements, and so I mentioned her. I go, we, I got to get her down to the store and actually try that one, because that's one that I want her to try, because I go, I have a feeling you're going to like this one. I go, it has some of the things in there that you'll like and you'll enjoy. So that's kind of funny that that was one that you actually took with us, and I was literally just talking to her about that the other night. <laughs> you know that game has been around for a long time, yes, yeah. but there is nothing outdated about it at all. It is a very cool mechanism. I love the gears in the middle of the board and how they move all the pieces. It is fabulous in every way I can imagine. It, some people paint them. Oh, I actually thought about that. If I had had a bigger bag with me, I was going to bring paint and paint that board, but... Say lovey. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's about it. We're going to let you get back out to the show floor because I know you guys look really busy out there demoing a lot of stuff and selling a lot of stuff, too. It looked pretty busy. So we're going to let you get back out there. I'd like to thank you for inter- letting me interview you again. And I'm sure we're going to be talking again in the future. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Okay, it was really great sitting down and getting a chance to chat with Sarah again. Like I said, we've had her on the show before, but getting a chance to talk with her from Renegade Games is just always a great pleasure. I really enjoy a lot of the games that they put out. Cannot wait to see what they have coming out. I'm not going to make it to Gen Con, so hopefully I'm going to be able to get my hands on some of the games that are going to be released there. All right, and then for my last interview... I got to sit down with the podfather himself, Stephen Bonacor. I've wanted to get him on the show several times before. Our schedules have always mixed, but I said, what the heck? I'm going to try to reach out to him, see if he'll take some time out of his busy origin schedule. He was able to. We sat down, had a really great discussion, and I cannot thank him enough for taking some time to spend with me. So we're going to let the podfather take it away, and let's hear what he has to say. Stephen Bonacor from Stronghold Games. Hey everybody, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now. I am sitting here with the Podfather, Stephen Bonacore <laughs> yeah, yes. from Stronghold Games. And we're going to find out some of the stuff that he's working on right now and also some other things he's playing. But actually, one of the first questions I want to ask you, how long have you actually been podcasting? Because everybody calls you the Podfather. Well, yeah, it, it's not about... The, the name came not from me doing my podcast, Board Games Insider, by the way, which is available all over the place. Which I, I listen to, so go download it now. Yeah, it's, and it's, you know, and, and segueing, it's, it's, a, it's a great podcast because we're doing something different. It's Ignacy Chevichek, the president of Portal Games, and Stephen Bonacore, the president of Stronghold Games. And we talk for a half hour, not this long, you know, three hour epic things like the Super Cabal, which is great, but it's very, very long. It, we're in and out in 30 minutes or so, and we just talk about the industry, the news of the industry and our commentary on it, questions about the industry that we take from our guild on Board Game Geek, uh, and then what's happening inside the company. So we're kind of just opening the kimono, explaining to people how things work inside the industry and inside our companies. So it's really cool. Um, really, the, the nickname came because I have been on like every podcast. Why have I never been on your podcast until just now? I think I think I actually met you last year at the Alliance Open House, and I was going to try to get you on. And I think our schedules just kind of conflicted and everything. And I never got, I never reached out back to you. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do live and sit down and talk to you at at Origins. And that's why we're here right now. Yeah, so it's great. See, that's where the nickname came from. It was it was part of my initial uh, marketing strategy to essentially reach out to gamers and you know demystify it from the beginning. Right? That was sort of that's why you do it. Why why would I want to be on all these podcasts? I mean. Some of them are small, some of them are big. Just really to get out there and say it's it's not just a 
this logo, this cool looking logo that on, on a box. It's really this human being behind it and he's pushing it and he's passionate as all heck about about board games. Mm-hmm. And they're good board games Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so how has the con been for you and what are some of the things have you seen? Have you been sitting down and talking to maybe some designers about maybe some new games and stuff? What have you been majorly focusing in on um, here at Origins? No, it, my focus at, at, at Origins and at Gen Con is really to meet up with uh, Meet up with gamers. I, mean, I I do some of the sales uh, at the booth, um, and just being there, pressing the flesh with the gamers, and talking to them about things, what's happening. They like it. They like seeing me there. I like seeing them there. Obviously, I'm a very social guy, and that's part of. That's just part of it. We're in this social industry. We do this social thing. We sit around a table and board game. So that's what I do. I take meetings, uh, some strategic meetings with with some important partners here, like distrib- distributors in the U.S. I'm meeting uh, quite, with quite a few of them. Them, with um, Board Game Geek uh, because um, we're going to do some more heavily, heavy marketing with them as well. I have not been taking as many um, meetings about uh, designs. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm specifically not taking any unsolicited pitches um, anymore because we have just so many games in the pipeline. I'd rather do less games and just try to focus and and market those games. I still have 20 games coming out. There's just some crazy number like that. (laughs) I haven't counted them yet. Um, But, but, you know, I I, want to I want to make sure that I get the titles out that I have to do right now, and who knows in the future I can change that policy. But I pick those designers that I that I know, like Jeff Engelstein. We're always doing his games because I, he, I have a very close personal relationship with him, and he works great with us in getting the games out. And then a lot of my games come from overseas, meaning they've already developed and done the game and the artwork and everything. They might have even released it in a small batch in Europe, and then we co-publish it with them and bring it out to the U.S. and worldwide because we have worldwide distribution. Yeah, and like I said when we started talking, it's you do have a lot of good games. Last year when I did my top ten, um, Great Western Trail was number one, Terraforming Mars was number five. I have liked a lot of your games um, since the beginning, so it's it's a real pleasure to sit here and talk to you and everything. So both those games obviously have done extraordinarily yes. well. I mean, in in that order, Great Western Trail is now like number nineteen on Board Game Geek. We sold out of the first print run. Upon release, it was allocate, what's called allocated, meaning the demand uh, exceeded the supply that I brought out. We printed again. We were allocated again. The demand exceeded twice in a row. We're getting the next print run going. It's been a little delayed, unfortunately, for, for various reasons. Um, but we'll we'll do a nice big print run on the next time we do this, uh, so we can make f- fulfill that demand. Terraforming Mars is an animal unto itself. It. It is. You can't keep up with that one. No, I mean, <laughs> Asmodee would have a problem with managing this game. It's that. It's that crazy. So our first print run was the largest print run of any brand new game. Right. Mm-hmm. I do survive. It's still my biggest selling yep. title, mm-hmm. evergreen title. Sells year after year more than the last year. So it's great. I print that in exactly one container at a time. That game print is printed in China. It's like my only title that really is printed in China still. Um, and I literally order 8,316 copies, exactly, because that's what fits in a 40-foot container. And then, and then I print, and then I watch my inventory, and it, it's usually exactly the number of months I think is going to happen, and I order another container. Easy to plan that game. Survive. I printed a very large print run for the first one, a large print run, the biggest I've ever had for a single new game. The demand was double that. I printed that double number. The demand became double that on the second ring. So this third printing that's coming out is 
epically large. Asmodee would cringe to print this many copies of a $70 game. The risk is so high on this. But guess what? The game's not even printed yet. We have some here at the show. They just came off the line for Broadway. Mm-hmm. They're continuing that to print them. We should have them back in distribution before the end of June. And I already have purchase orders on all of those games. So, wow. so in other words, yes, I've sold those <laughs> tens of thousands of copies already. Now, that's selling out in the warehouse. Selling through is another story. Right. So distributors will have them. How fast do the retailers buy them and the gamers buy them? You have to monitor that a little bit. We'll have some trends now after this so we can now manage the supply. In the meantime, I purchased parts, the cubes from China, the cards from Germany. We've sourced them both, and they're going to come and sit here in the U.S. Okay. And then on demand almost, I can say... Ludo Fact USA, give me one more truckload. Yeah. What's the, what fits in a truckload? Let's just say 8,000 years, send me 8,000 more years. So you maximize the amount of games uh, for for the amount of you know, one truck. A truck is going to take one pallet or 22 pallets, yeah. right? It's going to cost the same exact amount of money, essentially, to, to move either one. So you, you print that many, you bring that over from Indiana to Georgia. Oh, we need more? One more. So now we'll be able to really trend this and do a good job. Get a nice assembly line going. Exactly. I have a, I have a true feeling that um, um, we'll, we're going to need to print again uh, before the end of the year, even though this print run is so big. And we're, we're now going to get a great sales trend, and this game is going to become as big as almost anything has ever been in this industry. So the big thing I know that some people were hoping to see here at Origins was the expansion. Right. How the hell do you even plan... What to print for that? No, I'm guessing. As you're still trying to get your grasp around the base game. You're right. And, that's, and, that, and, that, and that really is a coin flip. So now you know what you've printed. You know what you've printed on the base game so far. So you, you start with that number, including the current number. Um, expansions tend to um, uh, sell at a rate that's about half of the original base game, even like one-third to one-half. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a, a, a ballpark, industry ballpark. Um, obviously, though, with Terraforming, which is going to sell and sell and sell, it's just it's going to be truly a great evergreen title. We did a very large print run. We will be doing. It's not here. It didn't make it. Next week is when it's, um, when it's going to be done. That is going to be a much easier game to restock. In fact, the restock cycle on that is a week or two. Why? It's done 100% in the USA. It's a double-sided game board. Oh, nice. And Ludofact does the game boards here already. So a double-sided game board, cardboard wrapping with the you know, the box, quote-unquote, the box cover and mm-hmm. the and the rules and stuff on the back of that and the UPC code and all that kind of stuff, shrink-wrapped. So that's all it is. So I can basically say, we're going to get this very big print run coming in. Let's assume that it all sells on the first thing. I'm going to say, Ludofact, do it again. They'll do exactly that, boom, and then we'll trend that. But the time, the cycle time there is going to be really, really short, and that's great. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. awesome because I know, I know there's a lot of people that I play with down at my local game store that are looking forward to that. I mean, that's, that's Terraform Mars is a game that I see hit the, hit the tables at the game store every other week. There's somebody playing that game constantly. Mm-hmm. So like you said, I, it's, it's easily going to be an evergreen title. Yeah, I, you, can, you can already see that. And it is that good. That's the funny thing. Like, it's not a, like you liked um, Great Western Trail better. Yes. But there's definitely a, a large percentage of gamers that won't play a Great Western Trail. It's too big. It's yeah. a very, very meaty game. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Terraforming is more of a middleweight game. It's much easier to get into that game. So that's why everybody plays this game. 
even if it's not like they're, oh my god, this is the perfect game. Everyone plays it is like, wow, this is a good game. Mm-hmm. I can play this game. I play this game again. So, yeah, uh, this one is really going to have legs. And besides the expansion coming out now, which by the way is called Hellas and Elysium, you're playing on two different areas of Mars uh, on each side of the game board. The next expansion called Venus Next, Terraforming Mars Venus Next. You get a sideboard of Venus, Venus, another, another deck of cards to add into the current cards, some more tiles for Venus. Um, we have a total of six expansions planned already. Excellent. Four of which were, were almost fully developed because we waited to actually release Terraforming Mars, which officially released in September of last year. We waited almost a year to get that game out because we're dealing with the, this young company in Sweden. And the game was pitched. I'm like, this is good. But let's make this game great. And we developed it with them for an extra year, almost oh, wow. a year. And I think that it really shows. shows. <laughs> it really shows. And uh, my, uh, my good friend uh, and, and also podcaster Jeff Gamble of the Longview podcast on the Dice Tower Network, he worked tirelessly with them. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to work with designers. It's their baby. And it's really this, this group. This is a group, a family in Sweden of nine brothers and four sisters. That's Frick's Games. Yeah, a little Catholic, I think. So this, this, this family there really owns this IP and they are passionate about it and it's and the guy who was the designer is like a scientist too so he used some good scientific basis projected into the future because this this takes place in the 2400s and then for generations and people don't realize that you're playing Terraforming Mars you're playing let's say 14 game rounds they're called generations that means a human generation that means 30 years right. so you're playing the game from the year 2400 to the year 2800. Mm-hmm. So you see the epic scale of what you're trying to, what you're accomplishing here, which is kind of cool. Uh, it's their baby. They're passionate about it. So it took us a while to convince them that certain things you want to do it this way, this way. Finally, they agreed. We got a great game out of this. Oh, definitely. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some of the other things. One of the things that made my list when I was talking about Origins and what I wanted to see down here at the show was Pit Crew. Another great Jeff Engelstein game. Um, his last game that you put out was outstanding. His um, first solo game was yes. right, The Fog of War. Right. Really, really great take on, on a World War II game. And now he's done another solo game without the family. When I'm saying a solo game, he's, 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 he usually designs with his family. Right, right. Unbelievably brilliant family. His kids are like sm- twice as smart as me. He's in Sydney and Brian. Uh, and now he's done another game on his own, and that's Pit Crew, which was, you know the story behind that, how that thought process came why would he do this game did you do you know about it you know i listened to ludology and i'm trying to remember what the story is now suze yes. <laughs> suze sheldon who's on the dice tower network she does um, um like the board, board game breakfast i think with tom and things like that right, no, right. noted noted um, a podcaster uh in the industry she basically said at one point you know there are a lot of good racing games out there but the drivers, of course, are always the stars because racing is really, you know, I mean, that's, they're the cool guys, right? They're driving the car and they're winning. And so that's what you do the board game. But how about a board game about the unsung heroes of racing? The pit, yeah, the crew. pit crew. If they don't get the car back on the track in six seconds, the driver's going to lose the race. So Jeff saw that, said challenge accepted. Four months later, I had a game. I had a, I had a prototype and we started playing it and it was great. <laughs> And now it's kind of amazing game. Two to nine players, so think about that range. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a team, a team from one to three players. So you can play one on one, up to three on three on three, and you're trying to 
with card play, change the tires, uh, refuel the car, so you have four tires, mm -hmm. refuel the car, and possibly tweak the engine as well, depending on which of the cars you're playing with. The cars get progressively harder um, as the game goes on, or if you want to scale it to the, uh, to the harder game. Um, really fun, very fast. <laughs> Obviously, it's a speed game. Very and frantic. The, very frantic, <laughs> and the game plays in 15 minutes, too. Yep. So once you do it, you're sweating, you're like, wow, that was what I'm doing it again, I'm gonna beat you on the next one. So yeah, it really works, it's a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun, and then the other thing I played yesterday when I was at your booth, I played Fields of Green, yeah. which really caught me by surprise um, for being a really interesting tile placement game, building a farm, and you know, just playing the round that I played, I was like, you know, I was showing the game to my wife before we sat down to start talking, and I was showing her, I go, this is one we need to keep an eye on. I go, this one looks really good. Yeah. I go, I really enjoyed that one. The, uh, the designer took his uh, original design of Among the Stars, that's in the game in my catalog, a card drafting mm -hmm. game, um, and, he, and he just ratcheted the whole system up. So it's, this is now more of a, like Among the Stars, more of a, a lightweight card drafting, tableau building game. This is a middleweight, Card drafting, tableau building, and resource management right. game. If you don't if you don't manage your resources of water and food, wheat, mm -hmm. well, your your fields won't get watered at the end. It's it's modern farming. Your fields don't get watered, so they'll go fallow. You turn them over, and your animals will die. You got to you're going to lose your animals. So if you don't do this well you're not going to win the game. So you have to build the engine right at the right speed. If you, if you build those, those resources too, too early, you, you have things that are, you, know, you can't store and stuff like that. So um, great game based on those three mechanics that really, um, really uses them in, in really creative ways. Yes, yeah, I, I, like I said, it really caught me by surprise. I had seen it, I had heard about it before, but I had not played it, so I was glad I actually got the opportunity to sit down and play it, and I was like, I really like that one. So let's jump over to what you're actually bringing to Gen Con next, because that's going to be probably your next big convention. Sure. What are some of the things you're going to be bringing there that people can maybe look forward to? Yeah, the big, our big release there, uh, for which we're also having a launch party, we did it last year with the Dragon and Flag and the, the other Jeff yep. Engelstein and family <laughs> game. Um, <laughs> We um, are bringing out Flamme Rouge, which is a bike racing game. Came out of Essen last year mm -hmm. from Lauda Pellet, and now they're licensing it to us for North America and, and worldwide distribution. Uh, it's, a, it's bike racing, like the Tour de France. Think of it like that. And in, in this game, you, you can control a team of two riders. One, one's called the Roller. One's called the Sprinter. The Roller is more steady paced and the sprinter of course he can he can play the big high cards and get the guy moving but you got to do it the right time you can't just break out in the beginning he's going to run out of steam mm -hmm. once a card's played it's never going to be seen in the game again so all those mechanics that would come into play um, when you're playing with a team and with other racers because it's uh, each each player there's four players two to four players play each playing with the two racers um, they're going to be drafting each other they're going to be going up hills so drafting doesn't work downhill so they go fast on the downhills all those things come into play with variable tracks because the game has got these track pieces and you can change them around we give you some sample ways to do it or you can create your own ways to do it um, and you program the movement of each one of your cyclists independently and then see well how far did they go uh, the leader went four spaces so he moves up four spaces the next guy went up or the next pack were like a space behind him well then they get to draft up behind him because they were that like that one space between really interesting game uh, even if you're not a cycle fan or anything like that 
the game mechanics is so strong in this game that it's going to really, really, you know, uh, yeah. do very well for us. I think I've heard the guys on Dice Tower talk about it before. I think I've heard Tom and yeah. Eric talk about it before, and it sounds like it's supposed to be one of the best cycling games yeah. that are that that's been released. Racing, like, yeah, racing like if you've played like Ave Caesar, for instance, is a great racing game. It's 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 about you know a chariot racing in, in ancient Rome, and and you're going around a track twice. Um, this is sort of a, like a, uh, I'm calling it an obvious Caesar killer because that's a great game, very light. This one you got to think a little bit more, and you got to, depending on the way the other guys are are using their cyclists, is gonna is gonna affect the way your cyclists are moving around the track as well because of all that drafting that goes on. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna go to the last question here because I'm gonna yes. let you get back to the booth. Yeah, so, yeah, so we're gonna protect the voice a little bit more. So one of the last questions I always like to finish up with is, what are you playing now? What's hitting your table, or what what's kind of like you know, your kind of bread and butter game right now. What's yeah, really caught you? It's like, well, what am I playing podcast, <laughs> exactly. right? Of course. What I'm playing now. So yeah. What are you playing now? Yeah. No, so um, besides prototypes, which we have to do a lot of, right? A lot of right. that kind of stuff. And I can't even really talk about those anyway. Um, really, you know, um, it's it's almost self-serving to say it, but I'm playing a lot of Terraforming Mars. And I don't end up, I really don't play a lot of games. You know, I don't play one game a lot ever. But this game, you just want to play it again, and then you want to play it again. I played the game in like the last month or so about ten times. That's unprecedented for me, except for like a filler game. Like you might play a filler game four times, waiting for your, your, your friends right, to show right. up, or or it's so fast you you know you, you you play it a few times over over time. But this game consistently is hitting the table because even in the show to another player, like, oh my God, this is so great. Yeah, you're damn right it is. Let's do it. <laughs> now let's do it again. Now you got the system. We'll do it again. So Terraforming Mars is really what I'm playing quite a bit of. And cool. even I am dying to get the expansion because <laughs> now I want to see all my friends react to all the new strategies that the expansion is going to, um, you know, going to develop for you. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, Stephen. Yeah, I appreciate it. Awesome. Everybody, this is Stephen Bonacore, and this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now, and we'll get back to you later. Thanks a lot. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed listening to the interviews as much as I actually enjoyed conducting them. Covering this show was just great. It was a little stressful at first trying to get everything pulled together, but once I sat down and started talking to people, once I actually got to playing some games... It was one of the best times I've had in my life, and I cannot wait to do this again. I really had a great time doing this. So I'd like to thank everybody for listening, everybody for who actually spent some time helping me put this show together, all the people that I interviewed. It was just, if you've never been to Origins, definitely check out Origins next year, as I cannot say enough about it. When I went to Gen Con last year, Gen Con is definitely a blast. It's a huge show. There's a lot of stuff released there, but there were quite a few things here released at Origins this year. It's a much closer con for me. It's a much smaller con, so me getting able to spend some time with some people here was just really great, and I couldn't thank everybody enough. But I think we're going to bring this episode to a close, so as always, send me some emails let me know what you're playing now you can send those emails to what i'm playing now at gmail.com you can also join us in some conversations over on board game geek we have a guild over there guild number two four four zero on twitter you can follow me at what i'm playing now don't forget to drop the g like i always say on facebook just do a search for what i'm playing now 
our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash the plus sign. What I'm Playing Now podcast. And then as always, our Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. All right, everybody, you know what to do. Go out there, play some games, and then don't forget to let me know what you're playing now. I will be back next week with another episode of the podcast with a lot of new games that we got at Origins to talk about. So get ready for that. But until then, everybody, go have a great week playing games, and we will see you later. Thanks for joining me. Bye-bye. 